The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. A woman, a mother, and a Judah boot. I'm surprised that many let you through the door. Once I made an interview for the secretarial pool. You think you can change the country? You should look to her generation. They're taking to the streets, demanding change, like we did when we fought for the vote. The word woman does not appear even once in the U.S. Constitution. Nor does the word freedom. I ask no favor for my sex. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington. And uh, today we're going to talk about a movie, as promised last time, uh, we are going to talk about On the Basis of Sex, which every time I go to write or say, I want to say the opposite of sex. Um, the Christina Ricci, oh. Lisa Kudrow uh, movie, Martin yeah. Donovan. Um, uh-huh. and, and I don't know why I've only seen that movie probably once or twice back when it came out, but that's what comes out of my mouth or fingers anytime I go to write the title for this that's movie. That's funny. I mean, we saw it. In the theater together. Did we see it in the theater? Because I remember yeah. the, the VHS the box Wilma. very distinctly. In the Ooh. Wilma. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. it was a basement Wilma. Right. Um, and that was in the midst of, of my Christina Ricci. Appreciation phase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of the right word. but um, Well, we may come back to Christina Ricci in the future. Absolutely. <laughs> as we all should. Um, Aislinn, why did we choose to talk about On the Basis of Sex? Well, it had been on our list for a while. That's true. Um, a movie about uh, a a fantastic historical figure, um, as well as uh, directed by Mimi Leader, who has directed a number of things that mm-hmm. we both enjoy mm-hmm. or yep. are interested in, mm-hmm. and that doesn't always happen. Um, and then, of course, with the recent passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we decided this was a great time to talk about it. Indeed, it was a it was a, a kind of a spur of the moment, but uh, it felt right. Felt right. Um, I'd never seen uh, not the opposite of sex. I'd seen that. I'd never seen on the basis of sex. Had you ever seen this before we watched it for this uh, recording? I had seen it once. Um, uh, when it became available to me to watch. Um, but of course it had additional kind of meaning and, um, it was a different watch this time Uh for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I still, yeah, there's still, I think where I might have, where I'm interested in where the discussion goes today is sort of the difference between, um, telling a, a, a story about uh, an American figure, mm-hmm. a beloved American figure and the story and the, the meaningfulness. It's not a great word um, there, but then like as a movie. Right. 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 We'll definitely no. get into that distinction. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because there are parts of me that just like, I just want to 
you know, sort of sit and know the story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different to me than whether what parts of the movie are successful or not. Right. And, right. And that. So, um, right. so I want to, I guess I want to make sure that we're just uh, flagging what, like specifically what we're talking about. Right. So as not to confuse anyone in right. case I say something very unpopular. Right. And it gets taken out of context and put in an ad or something. <laughs> Exactly. You know, because the media is always just ready to get me, right? Out for Iceland. <laughs> um, so, Tobin, you said this was the first time you had seen it. Yes, it's a movie I had been interested in when it came out. I read part of the script, I remember, as it came out, because it, the it was a, the script was released uh, prior to last year's Oscars. It came out in 2018, mm-hmm. but prior to the 2019 Oscars, they released a bunch of scripts for the movies that are sort of awardsy that year. Um, and it's uh, high-profile uh, biopics are almost always awardsy if they re- get released, uh, in the, especially in the fall. Um, and so I'd read part of the script, not much of it, just, just a little bit of it to kind of get the flavor. I was working at the time on a true history political thing so it felt um it felt kind of timely to read a little bit of it but no i'd never i'd never seen it before so i watched it for the first time this week awesome yeah okay yeah well um that is where you are now but let's go back in time and have two bits of film history please (laughs) very nicely transitioned (laughs) i'm impressed um so the first bit of film history that as you alluded to earlier Oh, no, that was maybe in that was a pre-taped thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first bit of film history is that the script was written by Daniel Steepleman, who was uh, Justice Ginsburg's nephew, um, to whom with whom they were they, they were close, apparently. Um, so it and it was on the 2014, I think, blacklist, this list of the best unproduced um, uh, screenplays in Hollywood. Um, and so it had been it had been kicking around for a little while before it got made. Um, but that's sort of where. Which I think will that that I didn't know that until after I watched the movie, but it did shade some of the some of my thinking about choices they made in terms of what's part of the story to tell, uh, which we'll get into. Uh, the other bit of film history is that the production designer uh, Nelson Coates. I read a Q and A with him where he talked about. Um, he really wanted to meet. So he the, the movie covers uh, three different decades in her life and. Two different, three different cities, and you know the the costumes are going to change, and the setting is going to change, and the and the you know the the sets are going to be really different in a lot of ways. And so it was a big job on a smallish budget movie to do all this stuff. And he really wanted to meet her, so he went to meet her. He got to meet her in her um, apartment in the Watergate Building in DC, and um, just kind of get a better sense. And there she was like, "Well, I don't have anything from those days. There's nothing you'll be able to see that from those days." And then she had like a coffee table that she'd had in New York. And, uh-huh. and there was a, she had a, a, a grand piano or a baby grand piano, which then was, oh, we had this kind of piano in New York. So it like led to all this stuff, the sort of texture of her life gotcha. um, in a fun way uh, that came from that that conversation. So uh, that was kind of that was kind of cool, I thought. Yeah, that's I like that one. Yeah, yeah. I just imagine them sitting down together and talking about, you know, their li- her life. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so Aislinn. Speaking of her life, uh, who are some of the ladies in charge, women involved in major roles in On the Basis of Sex? Happy to share. Uh, So first of all, as as we said, director, Mimi Leader. Actors, Felicity Jones, Kathy Bates, 
and Kaylee Spaney. Producers, Betsy Danbury, Aaron F. Larson, and Karen Loop. Editing, you know I love an editor. Yes, you do. Michelle Tessero. Casting, Andrea Kenyon and Victoria Thomas. Art direction, Camille Parent and Paolo Rodolfi. Set decoration, Emmanuel Bois, Sylvan Mendez, and Sonia Venet. Costume design, Isis Musenden. Great work. <laughs> there were some tough ones in there. There were. And I, I double-checked all the spellings so I would get them right because I because they because there were some unusual spellings. I love the name Karen Loop. I think that is a great <laughs> name. That's almost like too good to be true. Um yeah. but I think I think that is a that not not that's not the difficult one. Um but that is that is a good one. Um do you remember so do you remember the, the Mimi Leader movies that or the Mimi Leader projects that that stand out to you? So I I cheated because I knew the name. Mm-hmm. So like the name was obvious to me that I was like, I better look back and see see what this is. Yeah. And so then that led me immediately to Deep Impact. Yes, absolutely. Um, <laughs> which at the, t- <laughs> at the time, and I don't know, I guess, I guess it, it could be worth digging into, but um, was the... My, my preferred meteor apocalypse. So Deep Impact and Armageddon came out near one another. Really close to one another, yeah. Armageddon had more um, marketing oomph. I mean, I don't know what else, but but there was in my in my childhood bedroom where I am currently sleeping. <laughs> Different story. Um there was a like from McDonald's Armageddon poster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was right. it lots had, of tie it had in, all the yeah. with it. The the soundtrack was everywhere. It was just yeah. It 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 sort of forced itself into being a cultural moment, mm-hmm. and in a way that Deep Impact sort of wasn't. But I I can remember. I mean, Tay Leone, Morgan Freeman as the president, Elijah Wood, Lily Sobieski, I think. Yep, absolutely. Yep, yep. Um, that's the poster. So, Two of them, yep. So obviously, <laughs> that, I was like, oh yeah, that's how I know her. But then also, you know, she has, uh, whether both produced, but d- produced and directed, um, a whole lot of things, a whole... Um, a lot of TV that of we TV. both so like yep. way back to LA Law, which was an early one for you. Yep. Um, there's a producer of of ER for a while. Mm-hmm. There's the Leftovers, um, much more recently, uh, along with the Morning Show, which I still have not seen. But, you should. But our mom really likes it. it. It starts out okay, and then there are a few scenes that are really good, and then it gets very good. I think. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, that's oh, cool. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Love that, it. That she was one of the first uh, women filmmakers that I 
track was tracking. I mean, I, I, I had known of some, but as her as her movies were coming out, as she transitioned from ER into features with uh, um, uh, the the Peacemaker, I'll call it the Pacemaker, uh, the Peacemaker, the George Clooney and Nicole Kidman uh, sort yes. of international spy thriller. Um, and she that was a big deal that like, he was leaving ER and going to go do movies, and she had been a director on ER and was going to go direct this movie, and it was the whole discourse of can a woman direct a, an action thriller, which. We still, we still have to fucking sit through <laughs> every couple of years. Um, although hopefully, thanks to the old guard, we don't have to sit through it quite as much uh, next Amen. time. Uh, but anyway, just that, you saying that makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, FYI. yeah well, let's, let's do it. Um, but that sort of so so I was sort of was tracking uh, tracking her career, and after that, saw all the, her movies in the theater. Deep Impact, Pay It Forward. I mean, I was, I was like, just going to say, I was a Pay It Forward apologist early on. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, uh, and then, um, uh, yeah. So then, as you say, I, I've, so whenever her name comes up, and I've listened to some podcasts with her, I, I think she's a pretty fascinating lady and has directed a whole bunch of stuff. It's, she's she's pretty cool, I think. Uh, but yeah, I, I always have a soft spot when her name comes up because I had that early, like mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to follow this director, you know, for the next two movies, right. and then she goes back to TV. And you know. and I'm sure that I know her name, be- you know, because of you and because you were doing um, you were doing that great work. <laughs> uh, you're doing your own independent study. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But yeah, it's certainly a name that that uh, we've both known of for a long time, and yep. so that that also um, it was time to do a Mimi Leader movie, and so this worked so out for are. that as well. Here we are, and I really I'm just interested in how you've synopsized uh, <laughs> this. So tell me, this is a very clinical because I just had to get it done. Um, so here's here's what it is. Uh, On the Basis of Sex follows the life of Ruth Bader Ginsburg through three pivotal early decades that set the stage for her rise to the U.S. Supreme Court. We start with her time as one of the first women to attend Harvard Law School, her work as a law professor when no firm would hire her, and finally to the case that launched her career as a crusading legal voice against laws that discriminate, you guessed it, on the basis of sex. Cute. So <laughs> Anytime cute. I can get the title in the end, I really feel I pretty, pretty, pretty good about it. Even just hearing um, the way that you you summarize it, that it brings up those scenes and like the emotion behind it mm-hmm. in this place that I'm in, where there are aspects that I look at and think that is a different world. And we see the world change right. through the film. Right. Right. Um, I think very deliberately the opening scene is all the men going into law school and just these few, these few women. Um, and then all the things that like have not changed mm-hmm. or are, are still an argument right. or, or still threatening to go a different way that I can't even express how much it doesn't make sense to me that I shouldn't vote or I shouldn't do anything. Right. Have, have a job. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. No, we can't hire you because the wives would get jealous. Now here's what I have to say about that. And and I think this will recur, but um, it was recently a, a, a very happy ticket holder and guest because I paid for it uh, for a fundraiser um, for the um, PAC uh, Vote Mama. And the, the point of Vote Mama is to um, provide uh, financial assistance to progressive candidates with young children mm. because so many 
Um, yes, we have more women running for things, right. but um, a lot of folks making choices of whether delaying or or forgoing having children to wait until they grow up, the children. Right. Um, or delaying or foregoing the ambition. Right. Right. And the then the up. questions of thinking about earlier in this particular presidential race when there were a number of younger men mm-hmm. involved, did anyone ask ever where are your children and who's watching them right, right. of course not how can but you you're be gonna... a father and a supreme court justice right and then <laughs> how do you um, balance this sir <laughs> right it's not happen. or then we have um and, and i've been to some kind of local events where there are where there are candidates holding their children while yeah. speaking and things yeah. right and then it becomes well that's you're you're using your child is a political puppet and <laughs> right. blah, 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 blah. Right. So the point of Vote Mama is to provide financial assistance as well as mentorship, et cetera, um, to get more women who are mothers mm-hmm. of children, children into these positions. Right. And, and it makes so much sense if you think about it, the ways in which we are not helping out and we are not legislating for families because the folks having the conversations are so separated. Yes. Right. Of course, of course, I'm sorry, but of course, old gentlemen with, with a lot of financial stability are not going to understand younger one adult households that, that are using assistance programs or right. using food pantries and those kinds of like, of course, they're not going to understand that. Right. Of course, they're not going to understand the cost of, of um, birth control over a lifetime right. in different ways. <laughs> right. Right. To be, to make choices about when families grow and all that. So it's just, I love this idea of, of course we have to get women who want to do this and are and are smart and capable and all that in the room so that we can have the conversations that don't occur to the other people. Right, so, right, right. sorry, that is like diatribe one of many. <laughs> but that was something that, that I kept thinking about mm-hmm. through this because that's an organization I knew nothing about until very recently. Mm-hmm. So I'm not trying to say, look, I know all the things. I'm saying this is still so much of a problem. Right, right. That we are trying to raise awareness for something that is visibly, you can see, you can look at the roster and you can see that young families are not represented and certainly not young families of color. Right. Um, so that was, that was going through my mind while I was watching all the bullshit of like, stand up and tell me why you deserve to be here instead yeah. of a man. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And so here's what I loved about this movie. Okay, tell that me. Several times. Yeah. <laughs> you would have that scene. Yep. Because it happened in, in different ways, but certainly right. and, and Sam Waterston, like, it must have been fun to be a jackass <laughs> yes. because he's always like a pillar of, of integrity and righteousness. Yes. And if yeah. you've, if anyone, there is a, <laughs> there is a Matthew Shepard, uh, TV movie mm-hmm. where Sam Waterston plays Matthew Shepard's father. And that speech from that is mm-hmm. carved into my brain mm-hmm. because yeah. of the integrity and the, 
<laughs> so yeah. it's so funny. So he must have just been like, "Oh, I get to be an asshole." Finally. Sign me up. Yeah. He, yeah. he would. He would. He would. Um, every year, at least it was for a number of years in New York, they would do readings. Um, I don't. I forget when in the year, but annually they do readings of the Lincoln Douglas debates. Like present them on stage and he would always be Abraham Lincoln and I forget who Douglas was, but, but it was a, uh, but and they do abridged readings of these things, but yeah, he's like a pillar of the sort of, you know, righteous righteousness yeah. and integrity. And then to be not that it's a neat, it's a neat casting. It's fun. It's fun casting. Yeah, no, I liked it. Cause it also, it took me off guard. Right, and I right. think, and I think that worked really well in the scene right. because I didn't know what this, what this dinner was. I didn't understand. But what I loved about the movie is at that after that scene, as well as after others, then you get to see Ruth Bader Ginsburg react to it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. she's not, when no longer kind of on, on stage that way. And mm-hmm. those moments I really, really loved because she, she knew as many of us do she knew who was looking at her she knew yeah. what those comments meant like again as as most of us do and that's the you know the privilege is invisible to those who have it not not to those um, on the <laughs> other side and so so i liked that kind of letting us in on yeah, like she knew this was all bullshit and that there were these games that needed to be played and right. she was she was going to do the right thing and she was going to do it her way, but she also had to play in, in that system. Right. Um, and that, so it was that scene. And then the scene where she's talking to the guy who was like, yeah, I'd love to hire you, but the wives would get jealous. That's what made me think of the vote mama thing, because I don't even think that's true. Right. It's yeah. all these men were yeah. having this discussion yes. and they decided that <laughs> yes. their wives would be jealous. Right. Right. Like that's. Oh yeah, for sure. Whether totally. it was true or not, it's all, ba- it's just all based on perception. Totally. And then to make life decisions Mm -hmm. and career decisions and business decisions based on your perception Mm -hmm. and your rationalization of your, of of your perception. Yeah. yeah. Which is, which is, you know, based on uh, a very limited view (laughs) of, of gender. That's just like, Oh, so there was a little bit of that. I mean, it's a little bit like, Oh, poor you for being to the, that guy for being so, Close off to possibility. Yeah, yeah, but especially because in that scene, he's he's an actor. I don't know his name, but you, he's an actor. Is a character that you kind of know and like could yeah. be the kind of actor who you would hire to be the the benevolent first person who would hire her. And like it, it, it just like the Sam Watterson thing, it's a little bit of a it's a it's a bait and switch, right? And I think what's so interesting is that by casting these actors as these b- bad guys in this movie, you are she's she. Mimi leader is alluding to that. They really did think that they were right. (laughs) And, Oh yeah. And like, Oh yeah. At the time there's a, there's a broad swath of uh, the um, privileged power structure, even today, probably who would think that they were right as well. Right. So, so you're going to, you're going to play it as like, Oh, right. Oh, he's going to be like, Oh, Oh, Oh no, no, he's not. He's not. And the turn that he makes in that scene is, you know, um, as he like looks at her chest and then looks back up at her and says, "The other wives would get jealous." It's just like she notices what he's doing, um, and yet that's, there are a few moments in the movie like that that feel so true to experience that I imagine 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg having a, uh, this talk with her nephew saying, yeah, there was a time this guy looked at my chest and didn't, you know, and even if it wasn't that exact moment, something about that is doesn't feel like yeah. something that you would would necessarily dream up and feels like more comes out of a lived experience in some way, which is um, I think the best parts of the movie are those kinds of moments. Agreed. Yeah. That I completely agree. That guy being a kind of a familiar character, right. If you look at the, um, you know, I always go back to uh, a, a entertainment weekly flow chart of like, am I the murderer on law and order? You know what I mean? And it's like, yes. am I the, am I, am I the <laughs> highest profile guest star this week? Right, um, right. So when it's someone I recognized, absolutely. Did I think this is going to be the one in a million and he's right. going to say, no, I'm going to take a chance on you. Of course right. I did. Right, right. So I, I think you're, I agree. I'm just saying, I agree with you that I think it was so successful for the film to have that continue to be and then leads her to a different path, which ultimately comes back around. And I think right. for storytelling, right. having the the classrooms that she was in versus the classroom she was teaching in right. are right. so cool. Such right. a, you know, it, it shows the passage of time. It shows some of the cultural changes mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it also shows that though the ways in which the, and I think this is still true, but the status, there's so much status involved. Totally, totally. Even even in the way that the rooms are set up, if we're back to production mm-hmm. design, it's basically a round table as opposed to stair, you know, tiered steps and, and everybody like the lecture hall style, right? Yeah. She wanders around the table instead of being the focal point of all these people looking to her for as, as a font of wisdom. It's a it's an active engagement back and forth, even though she's still calling the names and it's still a Socratic method. Yeah, she's and, doing the tropes, which yeah. is was yeah. interesting but but doing them in this kind of, which is which is so you know one of the fascinating things about looking back at Ruth Bader Ginsburg's legacy or that's not even the right word but like her the way she operated as a um, crusader for uh, um, you know for justice and equality is that is that she as you as you've alluded to and as the movie is pretty clear about so much of her journey is figuring out how to work within the system and also change the system and that that's going to put her at odds with you know they're interesting some of the other moments i liked in the movie were conversations she has with her daughter and 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 there's one that feels pretty fabricated but i still found it pretty effective where they've gone to meet kathy bates for the first time and kathy bates is like get out of here you you, this is you know this is you're, the times have moved on, blah, 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 whatever. And they out in the, in the, and the um, walking to get, catch a cab and they're feeling kind of defeated. And these um, construction workers like cat call them. And Ruth, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is like, Oh, don't, don't let's just ignore them. And the daughter's like, go back, you kiss your mom with that mouth. He like shuts them down, you know? And in that moment, she like you, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Ruth realizes that like, Oh, times have changed. Like I, I was never in a position where I felt the power to do that. And you at 15 already do. And, right. you know, it's, it's a neat sort of thing that acknowledges that she was a linchpin, but at a time when things were already changing around her in, I don't know, it's, it's really, I found that really interesting, that kind of play within sort of uh, uh, the feminist legacy that sort of mm-hmm. that she, where she sort of fits. I thought that was really nicely kind of laid, layered into the movie. Totally. Yeah, no, that's a, a, a great thing to point out. And the only thing I will add there is um, I also then liked the way that all three of them, in this case, I'm going to add the Kathy Bates, Dorothy Kenyon part, who was in even like an earlier generation. Right, right. right. Then you've got Ruth, then you've got Jane Ginsburg that are all doing it differently. 
Mm-hmm. They all have different priorities and they're all looking at it from different landscapes. Right. And that's one of the things that I, I love about feminism and, and how I interpret it and how it works for me mm-hmm. is that it can look different mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it can mm-hmm. be exercised very differently. And there mm-hmm. are, there are aspects of, if we're going to, if we're going to say, okay, we're, on the end probably of a third wave, there are aspects of it that and other people doing work that maybe is not my priority or mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so glad they're out there. I'm so mm-hmm. glad they're, they're pushing it that way. Right. I'm going to continue to do it my way right? because I truly do believe that at the heart of it, we all have enough in common and it, and, and a fundamental sameness mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. And the movement, and I think humans only benefit from having different people enact it in a way that fits best for them and fits best for circumstances. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that the working within the system versus taking yourself out in order to, you know, demolish it. I also, that struck a chord with me, that mm-hmm. tension. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, I think I also am one that is falls into the category of I'm going to, I'm going to get into the system so I can have the conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because if I just told you exactly what I thought from the street corner, you're not going to let me in the door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it can appear that I'm playing along, mm-hmm. but I promise you I'm, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm, I'm including my, I, I'm staying true to my, my perspective, right. but from where I'm standing, I think I can do more work from the inside than the outside. Right. Right. And, 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 you know, you could more, more, you know, know more about this than I do and can, can correct me where I get this wrong, but it's my reading of my understanding of history is that um, movement, social, cultural, political movements, often require multi-pronged approaches right. simultaneously. Like there, there have to be, there have to be, or, or very often in order for sort of change to come, their, their pressure comes from a variety of different tactics, right. points of views, and that that's all, ha- that's all has to be happening concurrently for, or often happens concurrently that, that sort of will lead to change and, and, and success. In, in that right. way. And and this is one story of one route and one thing going on. Right. We know that there are other people working as hard with you know less right. Right. Uh, power and, and privilege and that at the same time. And so I, I don't want to um I think this is a an this is a good storytelling of of one of those right, of one avenue. things that was happening right right um and so if folks were super jazzed by all the stuff going on in the history of it i would encourage them to look at uh, to yes absolutely fantastic and then kind of look around at mm-hmm. other other leaders of the era with that had different priorities were coming from it from a different angle right right and right. there's still so much work to do <laughs> right <laughs> which is the other part right Right, which is yeah, and we'll get to the end in a second. I I had thoughts about about that. At oh, the end can we too. talk about the men for a second? Yes, yes, please. Okay, I don't. I mean, it's not a surprise. I don't think to anyone. I I like a Justin Thoreau in my life. Sure, I think I, I have that in my notes. Oh, Aslan probably likes Justin Thoreau in her life. <laughs> his his charm 
is pretty off the charts. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got that, he's got an extra bucket of charisma, I think, as a human, and part of why he's successful. I think he was in a different movie. (laughs) Tell me why. Tell me why. Tell me why. Why? why? Tell me. (laughs) And it could be the timing that he came in with, you know, because we sort of, we've got the, we've got our army hammer from the 50s. So we don't get Mel until... 1970 right so it's everything's a little looser so i sort of feel like he was coming in like this is (laughs) what i'm about shoulder move right (laughs) now demonstrating how how loose Um, this era was obviously we meet him he does the camp thing to, to exposition to tell us that they knew each other as children and all that um i don't know i just i also i i don't know if he was doing his part so well that it felt like a different movie or just like his energy felt different. Yeah. And I was interested in, in, in that guy's story. I, right. I will read more about Mel Wolf and, and his work with the ACLU and other things. Sure. I'm, I'm interested to find out more because he was compelling in this role. I just sort of, I couldn't tell if it was yeah. a, a, a true shift in the film right. or, if, right. or if he was just bringing in something that was very different. Right. I so the, this I I had the same sort of hiccup when he arrived that you did. Like the same gear shift happened for me, and it for me it began to unlock something that had been bothering me a little bit about the movie leading mm-hmm. up to that point, um, which is that it, it, feel, it feels to me that the uh, the more recently biopics have been uh, in my view more successful as films when they have concentrated on a tighter sliver of someone's life so you look at lincoln or you look at um uh, ava duvernay's um uh what's their the mlk movie um selma you look at selma these movies that take place over like a couple of months or a week or or whatever and then out of that you can allude to the rest of the things happening in the person's life and all that and i think that this movie uh, to, to this movie's detriment, it has to play the whole she meets Marty. They, you know, he gets cancer. She works through him, like does his law school and hers while taking care of him while raising kids, which is amazing that she was able to do. Like, and, and that could have been a movie, right? Right. But the but the thing is, when you shove that into the first half of this movie, and and I and I I'm very sympathetic to the to the nephew who's writing about his aunt who has this legendarily beautiful relationship in, in her marriage. And that's, mm-hmm. I, I, I love, I love right, that. It could have been a different movie. It sh- I think it should have been a different movie. I would have liked Army Hammer's <laughs> part better if it were a different movie. Right. And I think there, I think that would be a great movie because there is still that tension. Yep. How do you, how do you support someone in both of their cases, right. how do you support right. this person who is she's doing all of this and not getting recognition and not getting jobs and whatever? How do you support the person who has the same dream as you and all the doors are opening for him? Right, right. Absolutely, that's a whole other movie. And in this movie, it's sort of, and then you put tall, you know, tall drink of water, uh, army hammer in it, and it's like golden boy, whatever. I got a little bit, like I was just, I didn't resent him. (laughs) But I did a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think also 
what you often see is a different narrative of that relationship, right? Right, of, right. Uh, you would, and I don't, and we don't know, I don't know anything more about their life and their marriage, but um, in so many biopics, that would be the, that would be the tension and that would be, is the relationship going to be successful? And it right, wasn't right. here. Right. So yeah, that's hard to know. Do yeah. you take out the part where she did both law schools? Because let's be clear, regardless of what else she was doing at that time, wives would have been typing their husband's papers. Mm-hmm. Right, let's right. make no mistake. <laughs> right. Every advisor over 50 I had in grad school's dissertation was typed by their wife. Wow. So like that was an illustration of what was normal. But right. then on top of that, she was going to both sets of classes. <laughs> right. And excelling in both sets of classes. Right, right, right. Yeah. And the thing so so the thing about the whole Marty side of things, the other thing that I that rubbed me the wrong way is that I think two things that I think they're trying to do two things. One, to show us how devoted they were to one another and what a great partnership they had, which is great. I want to see that. Um, number two, they're trying to show us um, that uh, it's only because they like through this crucible, she had the strength that she needed to do the things that came later. Well, okay, I, great. And then and I guess finally, like, again, this is a nephew writing his aunt's story right. and you know, she's probably being self-effacing, saying he came up with the idea for this case. He suggested I do it this way. He like the, the, never in the in. The, so if you're going to tell the partnership story, what you show what you've shown is, OK, she like he got sick and she did this amazing Herculean task to get him his law degree. And he ends up being very good at, at being a lawyer, you know, from her notes awesome. or whatever, which yeah. is great. But then everything about the case that you're that all he she never bails him out and he bails right. her out like three fundamental times in this movie. Right. And maybe at the very yeah. end, there's an argument for the very end in the courtroom, but that was like, is this her story or not her story? And I'm right. imagining her saying, you know, I'm, I'm imagining in my imaginary version of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's, you know, conversations with their nephew saying, Oh, but it was Marty really had this idea and really supported. He's like, Oh, okay. Okay. This is, this makes sense. But it, I, I, if, so if there had been that movie, that would have been mm-hmm. one thing. You may, might have been able to sort of show that el- the elasticity in their relationship in a kind of a different way. I would prefer to see just the movie about this case, have her already be teaching yeah. at Rutgers. And then so then it's more like a, um, a her and Justin Thoreau, like um, not, buddy comedy is not what I mean. But like I like their energy and their scenes together. And and and. He, they're they're both right in certain ways, and they're and they're, and he's wrong in certain ways. <laughs> She's still pretty right in most ways, but like the the their um, style is very different, and I think that their um, interactions, if, if they've been allowed to play for a little more of the movie, could have been like I want the movie that they were in together yeah. no, when he showed I, up. I agree, and and what I'm about to say could be the chip on my shoulder, and not about the movie, but I felt like. The movie wanted me to be grateful to Marty for being comfortable with his wife being smarter than him. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I think that's true. I, I, and while I, think that's I true. am grateful for that because <laughs> I think what, but what, I, what I came out of that with is I get why she picked him. <laughs> right. Because right, right. Cause she is in the thing you know, charming and playful and all the things mm-hmm. as well as brilliant. Right. 
and there's some joke about another another man, you know, someone that she dated that was an idiot or whatever. So like, I I get why she picked him, and they are both lucky, and both people in a relationship should feel lucky and all that. But I felt like the movie wanted me. I don't know to like be mm-hmm. like, oh, good Marty, look at Marty ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah, a right. little bit in like not fully, but a little bit in that like the help kind of way mm-hmm. of why are you outside of culture? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I, again, again, I, I don't want to dismiss anybody. No, and I think that comes that probably comes from writing your own family story. Is like yeah. that's the way you've always heard it told, right? right. That, and so you're gonna just there's there, there's there's never a critical eye the movie casts toward toward that whole situation in a mm-hmm. way that I think would have been maybe a little bit more interesting. You know, right. I mean, there is the scene where, where he, where Marty goes to his boss at the tax law office and is like, I want, I need the time to do this case with mm-hmm. Ruth. And he's like, you'll never do that. You know? So he, you see him go to bat sure. at a time and like put, put his sort of, you know, put, put stakes on the table, but, oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. Enough. Anyway, so I think there are two movies happening here, and I wish there was just I wish I'd like to see both of them. I'd like to see sequels. Right. <laughs> part one or, and part two. I would like to see the six hour young Catherine version. Right, right. Where we get each night in a multi night. Do they do that anymore? Yeah, Mrs. Like America did that, right? Mini series. Oh yeah, Muster. Um I, as a kid, I loved a movie of the week or a miniseries. I watched so many Swished at Births and like <laughs> Canadian quintuplets. It was great. Um, so, yeah, I would like there's there are parts of it. And I think this is where the mark of a good story, whether it's a film or a book or whatever, is that I did. I did want to know more and I wanted to sit in some places longer mm-hmm. kind of with them. Um, mm-hmm. But you're right, though, the. the the story that was chosen to be told here needed reference from the three different decades um, and needed us to get to that, that, you know, courtroom scene. And I I wish it had just been that case. I think if, I think we could have gotten everything else we needed from like, from just the, the the present day of her figuring out, I'm going to do this case. And I think, I think you could have alluded, alluded to the rest because the, as, as a result of trying to cover so much of her life, you end up with a lot of scenes that feel biopic generic that feel like, Oh, this is the scene where this happens. And the bad guys all get together and they say, now we're going to be bad guys. And, you know, it's like, ah, but I, I think there, there could have been more, a little bit more, a little bit more nuance and they could st- not say they weren't bad guys, but like, do it in two scenes instead of just one that feel a little mustache twirly. And, you know, but mm-hmm. for all of those moments, then you have the moments where she goes back in to, to, to uh, reject the offer that uh, Sam Waterston has made to, um, uh, you know, to her. So her old professor and Marty's old professor are the two sort of opposing counsels. And she goes in and is like, cause he's a, is he attorney general? Is that what Sam Waterston is? Um, I think he's the attorney general or deputy attorney general or something, but he, so she goes in and, and then, and, and sort of tells him, like, that's a satisfying scene. I like that scene. Yeah. You know, I live in that scene that, and they, and she plays it well. And, Oh, what did you, how'd you th- make of, um, of Felicity Jones? Where are you on the Felicity Jones uh, trajectory as a fan? That's a great question. Um, I want to, before I answer this, well, I'm going to just look at the things because I get Felicity Jones confused with one other person. Who was in like Scott Pilgrim and um, Mary, Mary Elizabeth Winstead? Yes, I get okay. Felicity Jones, Mary Elizabeth Winstead confused. 
Okay. Okay. Yep. I can see that. Um, Felicity Jones so, is British. Yes. And okay. so I think what I had seen her in, this is, I'm so sorry, but most recently, um, other than, well, okay. I, I'm going to take Rogue One out of it for a second. Okay. Um, but the theory of everything yeah. is what I had. Um, and so what I love is from her going from playing the, the first wife of um, a very famous cultural figure right. um, who has did a lot. I'm not here <laughs> to talk about Stephen Hawkins, right. but um, certainly a a different a different role, um, yes. but still typing fucking dissertations. So um, <laughs> I I was really impressed with her in that because it, in theory of everything, as I recall, um, I am not an Eddie Redmayne. No, Stan, no. Um, and uh, and really, and I'm I look too much to get into. We're not going to get into disability and representation today. It's a different thing. Yep. Um, but I, yeah, ugh, Eddie Redmayne. Um, so when I was in that movie, yeah, I was certainly more interested in her. Yep. And her, um, also that character had so much to juggle and balance and. And I think came out, you know, looking, looking just fine. Yep. Um, so that's, that's what I have to say about, where are you with Felicity Jones? Oh, I like, I like the her? idea of Felicity Jones more than I like okay. Felicity Jones. The execution. <laughs> Wait, that sounds wrong. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Um, although a movie, that just sounds like, uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I have a real problem. I have lots of problems with the theory of everything, so we don't need to. We don't need to dwell. You need to take uh, although, the whole thing out. Of although great content, uh, great um, score. It's a great score that movie. Um, uh, but I, I, so I see her in the trailer for Rogue One, and I, and I think, oh, cool. This sounds. This seems. This seems like a. This seems cool. And then the movie happens. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay. And I see her in the trailer for this. I'm like, oh, great. RBG, young RBG, and then it's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, you know, serviceable. <laughs> Is that terrible? Yeah. It feels kind of serviceable, and I and I, I I don't know if it's just not the not the right roles for me. It's maybe it's not my taste. Maybe it's, but I'm 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 not drawn in. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I don't get I don't get I don't think. Oh, great, let's go see the next one. Um, sure, but I'm not bothered. It's not a I'm not yeah. Bothered. No, I'm not bothered, and I think. Um, Aesthetically mm-hmm. and energetically, it worked for me that there's a very, this is a, um, a, an expansive intellect and personality in a tiny, tiny package. Yes. Yes. Yep. And that I think she did very, she did very well. I, I believe, I believed her. Yep. in the role yep. and i believe that she was capable of all those things and so i think right. serviceable is a good right. um 
it didn't, it didn't bother me the way I'm trying to think of sometimes there are folks who are like super hit or miss. And to me, she's not right. one of those. No. And it but, makes me think as I look, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. No, I interrupted you. As I, I don't even the, know. As I look at the, um, at her uh, filmography, may, I just haven't seen her in a movie that's good to great. And so maybe that, that really may be it. It really may be. Uh, now I'm not seeing the aeronauts. Uh, her Eddie Redmayne reteaming hot air balloon movie, um, but I but yeah that as I, as I'm as I'm looking at the thing I'm like yeah it's just none of the I'm not going to revisit things that she's been in so yeah it, it may not be her <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see not, her in something yeah I'd love to be seeing something else yeah yeah ah <laughs> oh, funny okay Should we have to talk about the end real quick the movie let's talk about the end. What'd you think of the end? Like both in terms of courtroom and the very end, like closing image. So I, I liked that they felt they had accomplished what they were there to do. And they left the courtroom in the courtroom. I, I, I think it's a great uh, reminder of that first scene where there's all the just generic men walking into law school, <laughs> but then she's standing in front of all these generic men who are like openly condescending and like yes. smirky and whatever. And, and then she gets there and she gets them to think in a way that, you know, she gets, she gets them on the other side of their own perspective a little bit. Right. Um, it reminded me very much it. of this scene in um, hidden figures when Janelle Monet character goes to the judge to be able to go to these night classes um, Mm -hmm. and kind of uses his CV and his biography as a, as a leverage point to get in. And so, and so in that, again, in that thing of working in the system or not, like she's using the greatness of our systems to demonstrate and and but it also takes acknowledging the outside forces of i loved the the line of um all this has happened without the courts giving yeah. it permission so yeah. a little bit of like y'all calm down because the world's going to change regardless of that right. um so th- i think that 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 worked for me it wasn't I'm trying to think of you know there's it's a little too bad it was a courtroom scene just because like then you're immediately in a like a few good men and and to kill a mockingbird and like there's so much courtroom kind of stuff yeah um that it just feels not unoriginal but it, it's just hard to feel original in that those circumstances right um but i liked that I loved that it, when it sort of ended was regardless of what happens next, we've done what we came here to do. Mm-hmm. She has kind of reversed that earlier. Um, there's a scene where she and, and um, Martin are sort of arguing on the street mm-hmm. um, about the world changing because she wanted to do it and she felt like it was passing her by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of, self-satisfaction of no i i am doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what i feel is my calling role. yeah calling thank you um and so kind of it almost doesn't matter what those dudes in their robes have to say about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. Um, yeah That's, i love that yeah so I, I i liked that and then i of course i love to see the the real 
mm-hmm. RPG there. Mm-hmm. It looked CGI to me. <laughs> so I don't know if it was really her, but not the background or like what that was, but it, it distracted me mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course it was then a reminder that she's no longer with us. And that was very, very sad. Yeah. Um, but the, the details, the sort of brooch that had mm-hmm. gone through with us, the scarves, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, and the audio I loved. So I loved that as yeah. you watch her walk and watch her transition to like a modern day, yeah. you heard the various arguments and things. And I right. loved that pieces of that were familiar. Yes. Yes. Like, oh, yes. I've heard that piece before. I've heard that piece before. Yes. Um, so I think that is a gorgeous way to wrap it up. Yeah. What did you think? I love a courtroom drama. I am a sucker. I, it is catnip for me. Courtroom dramas, I'm a jam. I mean, it goes back to as we as you alluded to earlier, LA Law was a was a major influence in my life Must in the fifth, fifth and sixth grade. I would conduct the theme song as it played on on Thursday nights. I was a lawyer for sixth grade Halloween. I wrote briefs. I had it was I was, and I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer. I just wanted to be on LA Law. So it was, it was, that's, that goes, it goes way back for me. Um, and so I'm, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm all for a courtroom drama. And that maybe that's why I wanted this movie to be more about just prepping for that case and that, in that case. Uh, but I think that, um, but I found this one hard to watch in, in two ways. One, because there are th- some things felt like, oh, we are just shorthanding this a little bit. And, and I, that's, that's hard when we've when we've built up so much to this, and it feels like we're maybe maybe doing a little shorthand. And then the second thing is that when they were being so condescending to her, and she was not, she was like in the first part of her argument, and she's not like standing, she's not able to, like she's not yet nimble enough to like mm-hmm. beat it back or whatever, or to stand her ground or whatever, whatever it is. I was. I had like when I watch a horror movie, sometimes I have to turn it down when it gets scary. I had to turn the sound down because I'm like, I'm cringing so much because they're beating up on her and it's hurting me. So that that was kind of hard. That, that was kind of hard. I think that the variant, I agree with you 100%. I had in my notes, the sound of her voice, her actual voice doing the the arguing was such a nice touch and like to, to transition from the um, fictional character to the real person. When you see the real person, I think that at the at the time the movie was made, it's meant to feel like a triumphant moment. I think a lot of this movie is meant to feel a little bit triumphant, like, you know, dust yeah. your hands, ladies. We've got a lot done. Yeah. yeah, there's there's more to do, but look, dust our hands up. And in the present moment, when she shows up as the as the in 2018 real life RBG walking toward the camera. I part of me broke, not like bawling, crying, like sad, broke, but like, oh, this is not triumphant anymore. This is like a last or a, a, a not last, but like, a, a you know, the sun before the winter comes, you right. know, like the last pale sunlight before winter hits. And, and we have to like hibernate and, and build up our stores to sort of find our way through again. And so it had a much darker tone to me mm-hmm. watching it in, in you know, um, October of 2020 than it did probably would have in October of 2019, sure. uh, 2018. So, and I don't know that that's a, it wasn't a, a bad thing necessarily. It's just, it's interesting how things play so differently in just mm-hmm. a couple of years later, given the sort of changing of events. But I, but I had, my favorite thing about the end was the, was the, um, uh, uh, the audio. I thought that was, you know. Yeah, no, that was great. And I think you could have done person. that 
but then done photos instead. Again, thinking of hidden figures where at the time, um, at least at least one of the the our main heroines from that was still living, but they used pictures. And mm-hmm. so I sort of wanted to see a, a picture of um, young RBG and Martin and then older, you know, we find out that he um, uh, passes away of cancer in 2010, which again, thinking cancer, testicular cancer, if you're interested in a podcast that is just briefly about preventative medicine from a urologist, yes. um, check out why aren't we all with, why aren't we all seeing a urologist um, with my uncle Mark, the Dr. Mark, but um, because there's, isn't there something of like, at some point, like everyone is going to get prostate cancer. Everyone has a prostate if they live long enough. Like, isn't it just sort of inevitable? Or That's there's something under- like that. Right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it comes back and it's on their 56th wedding anniversary or near that when when he passes. And so it would be nice to see. Yeah, totally. Because they've had because their story is the narrative in the first half. Right. I think my artistic difference ending, and maybe and maybe the nephew really wanted her in it, but um. But I might have done photos, but still had that audio. I think that would have been powerful and yeah. and would change the way we are taking it in now. Yeah, I I, I like that. I like that ending. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, Tobin. Hey, Aislin. You play a game? Always. Okay. Well, today's game. Um, it is, I mean, game as it is sometimes is a loose, sure, loose term. understanding of the term. We're going to call it the parody parade. So, <laughs> um, thinking about, so the, uh, there are a number of iconic, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, moments and lines and things in the world. And we, we get to hear a lot of them, um, in this time as folks are celebrating her life. Um, and part of it is that question of, okay, you're on the Supreme court. How, how will you know that we're like, when, when is the work done? And it's when there are nine, right. When it's all women <laughs> and no one bats an eye. Yeah. Right. Yep, yep. So thinking about that, thinking about gender parity, um, I have a couple, I have a few, uh, Trivia questions for you. Okay. Let me say to start with, because I'm hitting you with trivia you were not prepared for. (laughs) You're a winner regardless. Oh. Yay. Um, So, Showin. Okay. In state legislatures. Oh, no. (laughs) Yes. Yes. uh, Thinking about gender parity, which is not, let me just be clear, that is only one measure. Mm-hmm. of yep. of access and equality and all that but it's right. the one we're using in our in our right. game today okay okay yep so, that's our metric how many states are there 50 there are and in how I'm, many for, states for now although i'm hoping dc and puerto rico will bring us to 52 pretty soon but amen um in how many states mm-hmm we're not going to go for parity here, meaning 50, 50. I'm going right. to say in how many States are the legislatures at least 40% women? How many of the 50 States today are the legislatures? 2019 50, 40% women. 40% I'm going to say, I'm going to say, Ooh, I'm going to say six. Toby, you were so close. It's five. Oh, 
I overshot. It's five. But here's and here's why you overshot is because there are three or four that are in that 38, 39%. Okay. Oh, but if geez. we're talking 40 or yeah. above, yeah. there are five. Can you name any of them? California? No, sir. No. Um, Montana? Oregon? Yes, Oregon is at solid 40%. Jeez. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I really didn't think Montana, but you were trying to give me a hint and uh, a visual uh, hint. led me wrong. Okay. Oregon, Vermont. Yes. Also okay. 40. Okay. Okay. Um, One more and we'll call it good. Okay. Okay. Uh, Oregon. So I'm going to but not California. Okay. That's interesting. No, no. I'm not going to say that one. I'm going to say, um, oh, oh. So there's like a mid, uh, Massachusetts. No, I'm sorry. Oh, man. Let me tell you the five and then I have a follow-up question. So okay. you got two out of the five. I got two eventually. Oregon and Vermont. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So um Colorado. Oh, Oregon. Yeah. Vermont. Washington. Okay. I was Nevada. gonna say Washington. That was the one I was gonna say, and I thought, no, I can't. Because Oregon, it would be too much. There yeah, can't be they've too done, much. They've done pretty well with this. Again, one metric. Um, of those five, Tobin, in one of those states, yeah, 52% of the legislature identifies as female. Can you tell me which state of those five? Colorado, Oregon, Vermont, Washington, Nevada. Vermont. I'm so sorry. It is Nevada. Oh. Really? That is the only, again, in my limited research, the only one above 50 at 52%. Wow. Go Nevada. Go Nevada. Nevada, where apparently uh, Helen Mirren is a first-time voter. Helen Mirren lives in Nevada, became a U.S. citizen, and this is her first election voting in the U.S. And she lives in Nevada. Dame Helen Mirren. Speaking of (laughs) badass women... Doing it their way. There we go. We got we got to do Helen Mirren one of these days. I would love to, and I would also <laughs> like to cover a movie of hers on the podcast. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Montana. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a time in Montana in my in my youth where we had a female governor. Yes, we did. The idea of which is great. Yes. <laughs> um, so, Tobin, currently in the United States, how oh. many? Governors are women currently. Currently, or or give me a yeah. range if you but want. It, well, I would my guess my guess is going to be twelve. Very close, nine. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I overshot again. So here's something, Tobin. I'm going to yep. ask you one more question, then I'm going to give you a fun little um, tidbit. So okay. there are currently nine. Okay. There is a number. For how many there have ever been. This number is small enough, Tobin, that yeah. we can count the number that there have ever been. <laughs> governors ever. Female governors. Female governors. Okay. Ever. You want to take a guess at that? Yes, I do. I'm going to say 19. 44. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> Some of them are um, some of them are folks that uh, that were uh, wives, like widows of 
you know, they're, they're right. not all elected. Right. And so, right. in fact, the right. first woman to act as governor was Carolyn B. Shelton, who served as acting governor of Oregon for one weekend, 9 a.m. Saturday, February 27th, through 10 a.m. Monday, March 1st, 1909. Wow. The outgoing governor, doesn't matter his name, um, had been elected to the Senate and had to leave for Washington, D.C. before his term was over. And the incoming governor, also his name doesn't matter, had gotten sick and couldn't assume office early. So um, Shelton, his secretary, was in charge for the weekend. That's Wait, it was his secretary? This wasn't a wife? A wife Mm -hmm. thing? I love that story. Let's make that movie. movie. Let's make that movie. Um, Four states in our union. Yep. have elected female governors of both parties. Do you want to take a guess at one of those four states? Female governors of both parties. Uh, Yes, I do. I'm going to New Mexico. Yes. That's amazing. Toby, give yourself a ding. (laughs) Uh, The others are Alabama, Arizona, and Connecticut. Alabama. Oh, right. Because is it is that where is that what's her name is uh she, they have a, a Republican woman governor now right Currently, yeah, yeah yeah okay okay Tobin as of 2019 a total of 20 states have never had a female governor may I just name them to shame them yes, or would please. you like to guess I mean there's no. 20 so you're gonna guess right yeah let's name let's name name right, name folks. and shame put down <clears throat> Arkansas California Colorado Florida Georgia Idaho Illinois, Indiana, Maryland, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Nevada, New York, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Wow. There are a few there I would not have guessed. Yeah. I would have thought that New York would have had uh, a female governor. Yeah. Um, And at least one of the Virginias. Okay. Yeah. Last section of our quiz. Okay. Okay, our quiz. Oh, okay. Our quiz game. Okay. Um, Attorney General. Now, I happen to work for an organization that was created by uh, and still has like a moniker of Attorney General. Um, and so I wanted to include that okay. as being a, a, a distanced um, cousin of the Attorney General. <laughs> <laughs> Um, right. Since 1959, yep. there have been blank states which have appointed or elected women as their attorney general. How many states have had female attorney generals? I don't want to be the grammar nerd here, but it is attorneys general. You're right. Um, wait, so and how it many says states? Attorneys general in my notes. I this, just said it wrong. This is how many states, not how many there have been. Correct. How many okay, okay, states? Okay. Of our 50 have had them. Have, have ever had. Okay, so I'm going to say, gosh, I don't think it's probably that many. I'm going to say 10. I'm sorry, that's incorrect. I think you'll be uh, delighted to hear that there have been 34. Oh, 34 wow. of our states have had at one point yeah. appointed okay. or elected. That, that, there that, is, sorry, go ahead. There is one state that holds a record for having three women hold office as attorney general. Is it a Western state? It is not. It's an Eastern state. Okay. Uh, Maryland. 
I'm sorry, Pennsylvania, but that was such a, I mean, that was a shot on the board. That was <laughs> I a threw a dart and, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the final question. So okay. 34 in general. Right. Get it in How general. How many states have had at least two women serve as attorneys general? That is closer to that original guess of yours. A dozen. Twelve. Fourteen. Oh, but you're so I, close. I keep getting close. You're very good. That's why I said, Tobin, you're a winner, regardless, oh, because clearly you keep up. You know a lot of these things. You know things about other things I didn't ask you about, and that was a random <laughs> trivia quiz. You were not. Uh, you did not know was coming. So thank you for playing. I, I wanted to demonstrate that there are and have been. Uh, a lot of fantastic women who have stepped up to the plate um, and there's a lot more work to do. And I think as I, as I mentioned previously, I have women in my life currently who are running for office locally and that's fantastic. And I support them um, with my heart, my mind and my wallet. And um, there, there should be more. We need representation so that we can have the conversations that need to be had in this country. Well said, well said. And I, and I, uh, I think your uh, pop quiz illustrated all of that beautifully. Thank you. Thank you for playing. Thanks for, thanks for the game. So Aislinn, now's the time in our podcast where we decide if the movie that we've seen is progressive or re- regressive. Is this a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? What say you about On the Basis of Sex? Certainly, there's there is not a universe in which this is a step back, right? The step backs we've looked at are, are Twilight and Barbed Wire. This is not that. Um, this is a a well uh, adequate to well told um, story that in and of itself is a is a beautiful and fantastic story. As we've mentioned, it's one of myriad that could have been told a. a either about um, legal equality (laughs) or about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, And so, yeah, it it has to be a step forward. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's, Mm -hmm. But I would say it is a a measured step forward, not a leap forward in terms of some of if if we kind of compare it to some of the other things we've looked at on this podcast as films. Right. What do you say, Tobin? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I th- I'm going to I would add only that it does have, as as we noted earlier, there are a lot of women behind the camera who worked in a lot of different positions uh, in the movie. So the movie was 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 made by a lot of women. And I think that that's um, uh, I think that's I think that shows I do think that shows in those uh, uh, those smaller moments. I think the best parts of this movie are, are the most personal parts of the movie. Um, and I agree. Not a great movie. Uh, but not every great movie is progressive and not every progressive movie has to be great. So definitely a step forward though. Excellent points. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Tobin. Yes. Can I tell you about November's movie? Yeah. What are we going to do in November? Well, the film that we're talking about November and this episode will drop as the kids say, November 24th, just in time for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. (laughs) 
um, is 1990s Mermaids. Ooh, we're going to do Cher. Folks, if you don't know how Tobin feels about Cher, <laughs> you definitely need to tune in November 24th to hear it. I'm not going to give it away now. No, no, no. I'm also not going to post any photographic evidence of anything that I might have. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Cher November 24th. But Tobin, I don't think that's all. No, it, it, that's not all. We, we no. usually only do one episode a month. Usually. Yeah. But would, would you tell tell our audience what else we're giving them in November? Well, we have a really, really special treat for you. So exciting. On November 10th. So our, sh- our show, The Contenders, uh, named after the, uh, the movie The Contender, starring Joan Allen. Jeff Bridges, Sam Elliott, uh, Christian Slater, and Christian Slater. Um, we 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 named ourselves out, and that was the first movie we ever did. Our very first episode. Those of you who who have been with us from the beginning know how much we love that movie. On November tenth, Isla and I are going to have a a two on one discussion. <laughs> We're going to have a podcast where we get to talk to Rod Lurie, the writer what? and director of The Contender. Yes, it's true. The writer and director of the contenders has yep. agreed to talk to us <laughs> for some strange reason. He's going to chat with us about the contender and his movies and uh, his TV show, the C- commander in chief with Gina Davis. Um, and so I'm really, really excited to have that conversation. We have not had the conversation yet, uh, I'm, but we are just about to, to, to do that. And then we will get to share that with you on the 10th of November. So um, after, after voting is finished, uh, we will get to talk to um, the writer director of the contender. So come back and check out that episode on the 10th of November. Indeed. Please join us for that. Um, and in the meantime, if you have more questions, comments, or um, cute photos that you want us to be aware of, Tobin, where can folks find you? Folks can find me ranting and raving on Twitter and, and posting pictures of my dog. Uh, in between rantings and ravings uh, on Twitter at Tobin Addington, all one word. Eyes on where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter um, sometimes, sometimes uh, <laughs> liking pictures of Tobin's dog. I love Tobin's dog. I just am not on Twitter that much. Um, at Sassy Nerd MT. Um, you could also, if you're um, just captivated by the sound of my voice or um, the opinions of my brain, uh, you could listen to Why Aren't We All, which was my short series podcast uh, where I asked folks who had a um, belief, practice, or worldview that made the world better for them what the world might look like if we all did that thing um you can check that out on cageclub.me yeah you can find us on twitter at contenders underscore pod or on patreon at thecontenderspod.com special thanks to our members who join at the marquee level or above sean flynn and jeff addington We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me, and you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at cageclubpod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I'm Tobin Addington. I'm Aislinn Addington, and we'll see you next time on The Contenders. What does Sunday in the PM look like?
I had no fucking idea. <laughs> Set direction. Set direction. Emmanuel Bois. Set decoration. Set decoration. Emmanuel Bois. 